Hello and welcome to the Scottish Football Show. Coming up today, no trouble in paradise as a rampant Celtic continue to sweep aside all before them in the Scottish Premiership. This time it was their fierce Glasgow rivals falling by the wayside in the first Old Firm encounter of the season. Lickety me! After almost getting their fairy tale ending last season, our both are having a nightmare start to this one, rooted to the bottom of the Championship. What's gone wrong? We'll attempt to find out. And are hooligans returning to the terraces? We'll look at the uh, comments from Henry McLeish and ask why one newspaper felt the need to turn it into a front page story. Yes, hello, I'm your host again this week, I'm Grant Russell, and joining me on the show today is West Ham United's Laura Brannan. Hello, and welcome back. Thank you very much. And hello too to football filmmaker and editor extraordinaire Finlay Marks. Hello, hello. Well look, we've got lots to get through again this week, but uh, you know, as ever, what's been catching your eye this week, Laura? Uh, one of the favourite moments I've got from the weekend, um, forget the football, forget the score, forget the um, the run that Celtic are on just now, it was uh, what happened post-match. And it was, um, I mean, Kyogo didn't play a big part in this uh, derby at the weekend, but he probably play, played one of the most memorable parts, and that was his celebration at the end. Did you see it? He was running up to the Celtic fans, Chinese best to join in. But he had his arm in a sling under his jacket. So I think the, the, the momentum of running up and celebrate with one fist going up, one arm going up, meant that he just completely toppled over and his weight just took him flat down on the ground um, and basically just planted himself in front of everyone watching. Um quite good dramatics from him. I, I kind of enjoyed that a lot. I was genuinely quite surprised it wasn't actually a penalty to Celtic in the end. Oh, oh come on, that's just better. <laughs> that's just better. <laughs> oh, Finn, I was going to ask, can you top that? But can you even top your own remark there? What else have you seen this week? Well, speaking of tops, actually, did anybody else see the new Scotland kits coming out this week? I... Interesting one. Yeah. 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 I there, There's some bits I like and some bits I don't. I actually, I really like the little tartan trim on the yep. on the sleeves I think that's cool and there's also there's a little thistle on the back of the neck which I think is quite cool but the biggest thing for me like I, I know you've got to have them because it's an Adidas kit and it's like their thing but the stripes down the arm wh- why are they like this weird colour of blue? Oh I thought they were purple are yeah, they not they purple? Are they, yeah they're just purple but they're like a weird, they're they're like a weird off colour to the rest of the kit. I'm like, I mm. I, f- I feel like it kind of looks more like a training kit because of those colours. I would have preferred it if the Adidas stripes were white. Yeah. Um. And actually, when you're talking about the thistle on the back, remember, like, I don't know if it's still the case, but I know Hearts had sole tires on the back in the same mm-hmm. position. Mm-hmm. I really like the idea of just having a really simple flag like every international top should have the flag in some form even if it's just a little tiny detail um so i kind of preferred the saltire idea look it's by far not the worst kit scotland have had for a long time and it is definitely better than the the current one that is replacing um it's just the purple bits i'm I'm a wee bit uh, about it but that's just nitpicking i think overall i'm happy 
It's difficult because I think when we, when we were doing the uh, the chat about the football kits, you know, at the start of the season, one of the things you were saying, Laurie, was that um, you kind of need to see the shirts in situ, like on the pitch and with the players mm-hmm. wearing them, because sometimes you know, like like the color grading or whatever in the photographs can be a bit off. And um, it was good that we got a chance to see it so quickly because the, the 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 women's national team were playing a friendly against the Netherlands on Saturday, and actually quite unlucky to lose a fantastic goal from Claire Emsley in, in, in that match. Um, but I, I, it is just exactly what you said. It's not the worst. It's not the best. It's kind of just all right. And I think probably better than the one that we've had just before it. With the, the away top, doesn't even have the tartan trim on, on the sleeve. Oh. I, I, and t- I, it genuinely just looks like a training shirt that costs a tenner, but they've put a Scotland badge on it. I, I feel a bit sorry for fans with tops like that, Nick, because... They just get, what, what is it, 60 quid when it comes out, if you get it new. And if you're buying for you and your family or whatever, it's it's a lot of money up front. Yeah, and, and when you're saying that, you're saying the women wore it on Saturday. Um, I've not myself seen it live yet, but it's interesting that they're now taking on the this new kit because they just had a, a kit brought out specifically for the women's team. So I'm not quite sure why they're now branding the same kit for the men and the women's team. And if that is the case, why do it so soon after bringing out, as you say, a £60 kit that they want fans to buy? It's a kind of strange timing. Yeah, that was one of the really disappointing things for me. The women, the big deal was made about having a bespoke kit. Uh, you know, everyone was really raving about it. It was £60 in JD Sports. And then fast forward not too long into the future and suddenly they're, they're in a new kit. It's a little bit exploitative, it feels, um, and not really seen much of an explanation on that, actually. I'll keep us on Scotland theme for what I'm going to pick out from the week past, and it was, it was a deadline day moves, um, both really essential for, for two of the Scotland squad members, Billy Gilmore uh, heading off to Brighton, making a, a very brief um, appearance in their victory over, over Leicester, and Jack Hendry joining the, the Scottish contingent in Serie A. We're now up to, oh no, I'm losing count. We've got Lewis Ferguson, Josh Doig, by the way, scored for Hellas Verona mm-hmm. um, as well this weekend. But yeah, Jack Hendry going to Cremonese on loan. He's found himself frozen out at um, Club Rouge. Cremonese, by the way. With or without Jack Hendry, are going to be a lot of fun this season. And I think he's only going to add to the madness. So, one to watch. Oh, mistake from McLaughlin now. David Turnbull accepts the gift. An absolute howler from McLaughlin. And it is party time in the place they call paradise. It's Celtic 4, Rangers nil. Yes, a howler from John McLaughlin was the rotten cherry atop a stale cake for Rangers this weekend as they succumbed to a humbling 4-0 defeat at Celtic Park. The home side was simply in imperious form as they moved five points clear of their nearest rivals thanks to a Lille Abada brace and strikes from Yota and David Turnbull. Well, to get the full lowdown on what is, even in these early stages, looking like one of the most unstoppable Celtic sides in recent seasons, we're joined now by Tony Haggerty, who writes for the Celtic specialist website, The Celtic Way. Pleasure to chat to you, Tony. Thank you very much for the invite. Pleasure. 
as well for myself. Thank you. Lovely. Well, you you obviously follow Celtic closely in your line of work. Just how strong does this season side look compared to recent years? I think you said I were there in Pirius. I said yesterday in my Celtic way colour piece, it was a pulverisation. So I think we're somewhere in between. You know, and I, and I use the phrase a lot, rip-roaring, free-scoring, never-boring Celtic. And I think Ange Postacoglu's team are the epitome of that. It's become a phrase uh, synonymous with myself. Uh, I actually used it in jest about Neil Lennon's team, <laughs> funnily enough. But yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think if you canvass the Celtic supporters, I, I don't think yesterday's result was a surprise to them. The surprise was that it was a surprise to so many people, but I think Celtic supporters went into this game and the team and the manager uh, with a, an air of quiet confidence that they could do that. And... The blueprint for that game was way back in February, wasn't it? It was almost a carbon copy. There's what three or four Celtic teams that are held in high regard, Grant. Obviously, the Jock Steen's team, which will not be eclipsed. Tommy Burns' team was held in very high regard because they played attacking football, but mm. they, they didn't win. Martin O'Neill's team, Brendan Rodgers' invincible side. But this team is slowly but surely worming its way into the hearts and minds of Celtic supporters. They've gone the equivalent of 38 games, which is equivalent of a full domestic season unbeaten. Yeah. And it's hard to see somebody stopping them at this moment in time. The thing is, it's so early in the season, and you know, Celtic have put in performances like this in early in the season, but this looked like a you know, a team that were, you know, rolling through November and December, having crushed everyone their wake and we're starting to hit top gear. And we're it was the third of September, so you know, you know, what, as much as okay, it's it's a settled team, it's an established team with a, a way of playing. Are there other factors in play here? You know, perhaps not having to go through the European qualifiers or even the League Cup group stages. That is that maybe helped keep the team fresh as well, and obviously having that really settled team long before the transfer window closed as well. I think so. I mean, the manager's touched upon that, but he said he ramped up the the preseason campaign for that because he wanted to try and get them used to that two games a week three games a week schedule when the Champions League games rolled around. But it certainly helped Celtic in terms of being able to assemble a, a body of players and a squad who feel comfortable in their own skin in the same way they made nine changes at the Ross County game. And it was pretty seamless. So in the end, And Ange Postacord had been signposting this all along. But when he lost the first Rangers game of his tenure, he said, we'll be better when we get players in in January. And then he's also said, my aim was to get two players for every position. And he's kept good in all his promises. And he said that he, he promised a brand of football that will get the Celtic supporters excited and off their seats. I think he's ticked every box. And I think he's been aided and abetted by a board. He always talks about the buy-in. He's got it from everybody. He's got it from the board. He's got it from his coaching staff. He's got it from the players. And he's most certainly got it from the supporters. It's a big thing that when he, he bangs on about the Celtic collective, that collective is a... a at this moment in time, it's it's a bit of a force. Just one thing I wanted to do, to go back to touch on that you kind of alluded to there was just in the fact that Kyogo's been in pretty imperious form himself personally since the start of the season. You know, he's racked up hat-tricks and doubles all over the place. He went down off injured very early on yesterday, but it, it, it literally didn't even seem to make Celtic break their stride. Do you think that strength and depth of the squad and the way that Postacoglu's been able to bring in the players that he really wants to, and you're talking about these two players for every position, is that one of the keys to the success of the last 18 months? And then looking forward to the game against Real Madrid midweek, do you think it kind of helps Celtic to be capable of keeping up the this kind of 
relentless form in the league as well as tr- you know trying to get to that next level in Europe because the, you know the European side hasn't been as impressive for Celtic over the last couple of seasons but it, th- th- do you feel like th- this might be now a point where they're able to challenge on both of those fronts? How absurd is it that the Celtic fans are going in a game against Real Madrid with confidence on Tuesday. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's just crazy. You know, so and believing that they can get something because of the way the yeah. manager sets it, he's still out in the team to play. But going back to the personnel, Kyogo goes off in any other day, Celtic supporters would be wringing their hands and saying, Oh, it's a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> Bring on Jack and Marcus, who's just as good. So that was pretty seamless and Jack and Marcus would only have a tremendous game. And as, the, as I say, I think it's credit to the Celtic board as well that they've matched the managers and the manager's judgment in the transfer market and whoever the, the scouts are identifying the players, he's not put a foot wrong. There has been not one player that he's brought in that's that you can turn on and say has not been very good, with the exception of Ida Gucci in terms of the fact that he's been injured and not had a chance to show himself. But every other signing has came in and they have fitted into that setup. And they are loving it and they're loving playing a style of football, which, you know, it's just entertaining. What will be will be on Tuesday night. But I think if you were to ask the Celtic supporters, they can't wait. And as you say, go back to a year ago, a meeting against Real Madrid, they would have been utterly dreading it. (laughs) Now they're like, bring it on. It's just, it's crazy. Tony, talk to me about Jota, because my my dad's a big Celtic fan and he keeps telling me, this is a new Larson. And I I really feel like he's just he's found his new hero after all this time. I, I don't watch Celtic week in, week out like you do, but when I do see them, he does take my breath away because I'm watching him and I'm thinking, how are you doing that? That's ridiculous. When you've got the ball at your feet, like even just his goal of the weekend, I'm like, that's a joke. Does he have the potential to be a Celtic legend? You're watching a special footballer in Scottish football at this moment in time. You enjoy him while you can. This was a player that came on loan, Laura, for a year. And then we was asked why he signed for the club and he said, I fell in love. That's like the equivalent of you and I going to Portugal and playing for Sport Lisbon, Benfica and falling in love with the club and wanting to stay. You know, and the feeling's very mutual. The Celtic supporters know this guy's special. And, and yesterday's finish was just top draw. Henrik Larson was one of those players that raised Celtic out of the ordinary. And Jota is a, a similar talismanic figure that, the fans love him. He loves being the main man. He, he thrives on that pressure and he, he loves the adulation. He lights up Scottish football and, you know, a lot of people do our game down, but you just have to look at the calibre of player that's playing in, in Scottish football. And I've always said that if you're going to compare Scottish football to La Liga and the Premiership, then you're not comparing like terms. We just enjoy Scottish football for what it is. We, we punch well above our weight and we produce a quality product, in my opinion. Can't be having that, mate. You better get your finger out all right and make sure that you get the f-ing results. Well, just to stay briefly with the old firm result, uh, Finn, from a Rangers perspective, how do you begin to pull apart that result? Everything that could have gone wrong kind of did go wrong. <laughs> I think there are some macro issues and some micro issues. I think one of the biggest ones helped that John McLaughlin, God love him, had probably one of the worst games he's ever had in his entire life. Yep. But I think there are much bigger issues at stake here for Rangers. Some of them are still things that haven't been addressed, I don't think, from the last year, potentially two years. I think it's basically everything that Celtic are at the moment, Rangers aren't, 
where Celtic are fluid and confident and attacking and incisive, Rangers aren't. Yeah. Rangers go through the motions of like this cumbersome, almost like horseshoe build-up play of constantly going between the back four that I just find baffling. I, I don't think missing Tom Lawrence at the weekend really helped because I, I know other players have grabbed the headlines. I think Lawrence has been Rangers' best signing of the summer just in the in the way that he can be that link between midfield and attack and play through the lines. I think Rangers really desperately missed something like that. It was amazing to see how much of the game felt like a carbon copy of the 3-0 game at Parkhead in, in February where Malik Tillman was essentially the Diallo. They were literally playing the exact same position, but they were both deer caught in headlights, which again, I find odd because the vast majority of that team starting yesterday have played in old firm games before and have played at Celtic Park in that atmosphere. How you can't prepare your own teammates for what they're going to face, I just find really bizarre. I think there's a real issue of mentality as well. Even in just the build-up to the game, I can't honestly say that I spoke to anybody who expected anything other than a really comfortable afternoon for Celtic. I think the scoreline was probably even worse than a lot of Rangers fans envisage, but the outcome isn't. I think they, they expected that. But as I said at the top of this, I think John McLaughlin, he just had such a nightmare. There might even be a case that McGregor, I don't think, concedes any of those goals but it's it's always easy with the benefit of hindsight isn't it I think one of the surprising things as well is that Rangers didn't do anything in the transfer market between qualifying for the the Champions League and the close of the window I think the fans didn't really expect huge business to be done but the fact that it's still a lot of the same what looks very tired squad I thought Glenn Kamara was just anonymous not the only type of player that you know, 18 months ago, two years ago, was a rock in that Rangers team and now just seems to go absolutely missing. Yeah, look, you've outlined a lot of issues there. I guess the, the one many will be focusing on is is the goalkeeper one. You know, there's so many things to focus on. But what what do you think? Does does uh, did Joe Van Brankhorst stick with John McLaughlin or does he just have to bring Alan McGregor in and just let him sit it out for a while? It's, it's a really difficult decision. and this, this is why I wouldn't ever want to be a football manager because I think we saw weirdly something similar with uh, Barkas at Celtic. You know, he got mm-hmm. dropped and kind of goalkeeper such a confidence position. I think if you lose it, it's, it's much more difficult to get it back. I, I think John McLaughlin, Saturday aside's actually been really good for Rangers so far this season. I think he's earned his his right by doing the time on the bench to to come in and replace McGregor. And going back to a 40-year-old goalkeeper, as good as Craig Gordon's been at Hearts, isn't really the long-term answer, especially not for a club like Rangers. So I don't know what he does. You can write it off as a dreadful game, but you don't know how much of a knock-on effect that's going to have for McLaughlin's mentality. I think the fourth goal just showed that his head had completely gone the way he just kicked it away to to Turnbull for for that goal. Yeah, I'm I'm not too sure. I I don't know necessarily if bringing McGregor back in is necessarily the answer. Yeah, and like goalkeepers, are a long term issue. Oh, certainly was quickly becoming a short to medium term issue that they're going to have to address um, next summer. But um, moving on from that game, and other than Celtic, it wasn't a great weekend for sides in the top half of the Premiership table. Rangers, Aberdeen, Hearts, Motherwell, and St Mirren all failing to register wins. Uh, an incredible stat from Pie and Bovril this weekend. With Aberdeen losing a late equaliser in Dingwall, it's now been 13 months since the Dons last won a Premiership game that wasn't played in Aberdeen 
Or Perth. <laughs> um, a first win since the opening day of the season for Hibs at home to Kelly without their manager in the dugout. Emergency surgery, all very dramatic. Uh, Motherwell failed to take the points against Dundee United despite Kevin Van Veen having a host of chances to score and uh, well, a little bit of disappointment that Louis Moult was reduced, Laura, to coming onto the park before the game to, to applaud the adoring hordes at Fur Park. What's your thoughts on Louis' return, the return of the king to Fur Park? Hi, it's, um, fans were waiting and waiting till the closing seconds of the transfer window for this one. Had to wait a wee bit longer as well. Actually, one of my favourite things that came out of the transfer window was a very angry Motherwell fan tweeting the chief exec um, his annoyance and personal offence that the club hadn't said anything about not doing anything on deadline day because he had stayed up past his bedtime for the deadline and he had worked the next day and that was a personal attack on him as an individual fan um, and he wanted the club to apologise for that um, and right, rightly day. so I mean I was one I was also <laughs> sat there all day the next day, constantly hitting F5 on the website, search strings on Twitter, dying to know what's going on. It's, it's horrible being on this side of things, Laura. No, it's just, you, you know what it's like. But no, I, you're, it no, was uh, quite amusing, wasn't it? Yeah, these things don't excite me anymore. I've been in the game too long to get excited by these Speak things. Speak for yourself. But um, no, Louis Mock, going back to Motherwell, look, this is a guy who he scored 50 goals in almost 100 appearances the last time round. He was there for three years. He is known as the king. He's a cult hero, but he has barely played since he left the club in 2018. Mm. He went away to Preston, then went to Burton Albion. He's been hampered with injuries. So there is a question over, is he fit? If he's not, how long will it take him to get back to full fitness? Or not even just full fitness, but match sharpness. And then there's a question of, is the return a good thing? I'm quite a sentimental football fan. So personally speaking, I wouldn't want my heroes to return for a second spell because I feel like if he doesn't live up to exactly the same and if not better than the first time around, then it in a way tarnishes his reputation, his memories. And you, you kind of look on that player a little bit differently. I just feel like, yes, okay, it's sad when a player like that leaves, but sometimes... Good things have to come to an end. That might come back to haunt me in the way that I have tipped Lauren Franklin to be a failure at Hearts this season and he might score um, week in, week out. But I'm just a wee bit apprehensive when I see cult heroes return. Well, no, look, Motherwell are the, are the kings of the second and third spells. Um, Henrik Oyama, James McFadden, Steve Mc, Stephen Pearson. I don't know why I jumped to Henrik Oyama first there. Just <laughs> in my head. And look, they've they've been to uh, they've all been to varying degrees. But look, to to provide a quick bit of counterbalance and, and and knowing the man a little bit, you know, he's been through a traumatic uh, three and a half years since he left Motherwell. You know, he got the move to the Championship. You know, always flying in a knee injury and then. Didn't work out at press and then goes to Burton. You know, looks like it's all going to go well from then. It's a bad ankle injury and just that comfort of. I mean, he called it when he arrived back. He said, "I'm home," mm-hmm. and it's just that. I'm getting a, a motherwell shirt for his thirtieth birthday, which which fairly tickled me. It just it just sometimes, if a player just needs that little bit of a cuddle and just needs that place where they can re- revive their careers, this could be the move. If if Louis can can stay fit. And Motherwell fans' expectations aren't that they're going to get the 50 and 98 games goal score that they had before, but they'll get something. Then it could be one of those spells where, that really do pay off for both 
parties. But time will tell, as always. Um, moving on, uh, Levy bounced back from their midweek defeat in the League Cup to beat a yeah, lacklustre Hearts at Almond Vale. Uh, of course, though, the Jambos snapped up free agent Xander Clark shortly after the transfer window closed. Interesting one, having Craig Gordon and Xander Clark there, although... Well, we'll see how much longer Craig Gordon plays on, and maybe that's what Xander is banking on. Anyway, uh, going through the divisions, uh, Dumbarton, now six wins from six, still smashing it at the top of League Two. Airdrie, in the surprise result of the weekend, they started the season really well, and then FC Edinburgh put six past him, who themselves now move up to second in the table, and uh, wins two for rampant Air United and also Dundee and Partick Thistle to keep those teams in the hunt at the top of the championship. And in the wrong end of the table, our last season's surprise package are both. More about them just after this. You think I'm going to answer a stupid question like that? Well, last season was almost a footballing fairy tale for Arbroath. They kept up their remarkable title challenge until the penultimate game of the season when they lost to eventual champions Kilmarnock. And of course, the dream of promotion ended with the penalty shootout defeat in the playoffs. But if anything, their journey captured the hearts of almost everybody in Scottish football. This season, however, it's not been quite the Hollywood script. Uh, host of the Smokies and Wide podcast, Fermer Innes, joins us now. Fermer, hello. Hello, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, look, I'll kick off straight off the bat. It was a, it was a decent League Cup campaign, actually, in the group stage, but uh, in the league business, you fairly come down with a bang after last season's journey. I'm not sure what's happened just since the League Cup. We were doing brilliant. Uh, and as you say, the wheels has come off the bus like but. We're not going to panic. We've been at this place before. We'll not worry about it. Like, so you know, what's what? What do you think it is? Because I mean, I'm I was at the the uh, St Mirren Arbroath game, and it was the, the last minute uh, winner in that game, and the manager wasn't even there. He decided he was just going to stay on his holidays for it. The boys were coasting, and uh, you know, what's, what? Do you, what do you think it is that's that's gone wrong since that late uh, comeback from Kamarnik? What what's not not clicking? <laughs> I suppose, to be fair, obviously we're lacking a decent striker uh, or probably two, three decent strikers. That's the main thing. But I think, I mean, you, you didn't become a bad team overnight yeah. uh, and, and and we've done well. We've lost a few players, a few changes. And I think possibly it's just taken a wee bit longer to gel without them than we thought it would. I mean, Nicky Lowe, I mean, in the middle, we've missed him tremendously. Michael McKenna, in fairness to Michael, I think he's been carrying an injury anyway for a, for a few weeks. That's him now out for a month officially. So that's been difficult. And Dick and Pink have always said they're not going to bring in anybody It's not as good as what they've got. And I thought it sounded big-headed in our, in our position. We've got some cracking players. So that makes it difficult to, to get people. So I guess a little bit of that. Uh, and just also... A wee bit of bad luck. Aye, and as you mentioned, the you know the players. Obviously, Joel Newbley is such a, a big one last season. James Craig and leaving. You mentioned Nicky Lowe as well, but you know, good caliber of boys that have come in this summer as well. Like Keegan Jacobs, uh, Scott Allen, Dylan Tate. So is it as you say, just a, a case of try to get them all to click? And actually, is that on paper? Arguably, on paper, it feels like a higher caliber of player, but in reality, is it? Is it? Are they missing that kind of our growth, that kind of edge you need to be a successful player at our growth? Yeah, I think they're, they're needing. You definitely need time, as as we were speaking about. I mean, we we 
last year, obviously, season of dreams, we clicked for day one. But if you look back at the, the starts, and I'm not a start man, but if you look back at the starts, we did everything up to January. Yeah. From January onwards, we didn't do a lot. Okay, we were still pounding out an odd result on that then, but we weren't scoring high goals. Nay Nuble, nay Anton Dowds, who in my opinion was one of the biggest misses because he scored the goals. Uh, so we've got guys like Keegan Jacobs in now, uh, Dylan Tate. I mean, yesterday I thought Dylan Tate was just phenomenal and he'll work well. Him and Bobby Lynn seem to, to, to link well together. Scott Allen will be the difference, although he had a wee bit of a howler yesterday, like, but never mind. <laughs> we'll, we'll maybe gloss over that. <laughs> but I think it, it will come and I'm, and I'm really confident with what they've got. And obviously, we've still got the loan loan window open, I think, for about another 30 days or something. I mean, you're, you're joking there saying, ah, we've been here before, it's all OK and everything. But but are you quite relaxed? Like, was last season just an anomaly in that way that you're like, fine, we had a really good year, we're back to normal again? L- last year was immense. Was, I mean, it's probably never get a season like that again. Uh, we should have done it. Uh, we didn't. I think we're, we're league position, obviously, it tells us if where we are at the moment with points, but it's no showing how good a team we are and what we've got. I, I would expect us to be finishing above playoffs, mid-table is what I would be expecting. But we'll have to work, and there's no doubt we've got to improve. Uh, but when you've got guys like Dick Campbell and Pink running your team, and the depth of experience we've got, Scott Allen, Bobby Lynn, Gaston... I could go on, but we're a, we're a strong, strong team. And we've got heart. We're right in there. <laughs> <laughs> I think When you're talking about heart, I think it kind of felt like last season, the whole of Scottish football was kind of united, willing our broth to make it to the top flight and kind of adopted our broth as a second team. Did you as fans enjoy having that extra attention and, and backing and focus from the rest of Scottish football last season? Yeah, we, we probably did. To, to be honest, Ken, when you're, when you're in that moment, when you're living it as a fan, you're not too worried what other people's thinking and saying. Sure. We were in our own little wee dream uh, <laughs> and, and it was a dream. I think for about eight weeks, all we could do was eat, live and breathe our Broad Football Club. <laughs> uh, and, and the other fans were on it. The media attention was great. I had guys for doing in England, Ken, because I had done a little bit of the commentary a few years ago in lockdown. I had guys for England tweeting this. And, uh, oh, no, it was, it was just fantastic. So, yeah, the other fans liked this. Some fans didn't want this up, obviously. Uh, Obviously, we're going to be a threat for the old firm. You can't put like. <laughs> but uh, no, it was all good. What, what did that do for like our growth as a town? Did you really sense that unity between everyone? Yeah, I think first, first and foremost, what it did was get support up. So season tickets, for example, this season, kids through it. I mean, everybody in our growth is wearing on our growth top. Except me, because they didn't hear my size last year. <laughs> but uh, it was it was great for the community. Everywhere you went, people were stopping and asking you. You'd go into the into shopping, and guys of an age a lot older than me would be stopping you. Came when you're getting your shopping. Oh, what are you thinking? This has been great. I'm going down. I mean, I'm a I, I'm part of the supporters club, and and we our bus went for we used to have a 49 seater with about 15 20 people on it one week. Uh, and it went up for that to uh, 65 seater people begging for spaces in the bus. It was it was it was just brilliant. 
are you confident even if things don't go as well this season and you maybe you are kind of spending the season struggling at the bottom end of the table, are you still confident that these younger fans, the kind of new fans that have kind of grown from last season will still stick around? Uh, that, that, that's something we were talking about yesterday. I, I think we need to get a couple of results under our belt quite soon to keep the youngsters interested because they want to like they want to like getting beat quite so often as we do. I mean, I was speaking to a guy yesterday, said his 11-year-old grandson was getting really disheartened because he'd never seen seen them winning uh, this season. And, and, and I felt sorry for him because uh, when you're that age, it really sticks. Uh, we've all been there. You can't even like well support teams. It's been, been getting a bad run. <laughs> After last season and then what a, a typical over the years you've supported our growth uh, the realism of that. Where, what would success look like this season? What are you hoping uh, you get out of this season? Uh, mid, mid table, mid, mid table, just above playoffs of what I would would be liking. Problem, obviously, it's got to be realistic if we can stay in the championship because I do think that's where our bros level is. When you look at everything else we've done round about, it would be good. So it'd be good to do that and keep the interest up. Uh, that, that's what I want. Not in a striker. <laughs> <laughs> Euphoria in the away stands Blue limbs everywhere Now, uh, former First Minister Henry McLeish came out with uh, some whopping quotes the last week saying he fears the cost of living crisis could fuel a surge in hooliganism at football games Now, like, normally we'd bat away such ridiculous comments but uh, one newspaper decided to run with it on their front page and it, it fairly... It, you know, it bears remark, uh, doesn't it, Laura? Can you fill us in? Just give us the, the context to, to what's going on here. Yeah, I'm going to read you some of the quotes that he's, he's coming out with. Um, I'll, and I'll kind of... My feelings reading these quotes were, what has this got to do with football? Um, so let me just read through them. He says, There's a degree of tension building up in society at every level and a degree of worry and fear about the future. It's going to get much worse much worse next year with inflation going up, the possibility of a recession with the threat of unemployment. This is unprecedented. I can't recall a time, even in the 70s and 80s, when things were as bad as this. There's no doubt that putting that's putting pressure on families and individuals and it may well be putting pressure on a lot of people who go to football matches. The danger is that can be expressed in hooliganism or bad behaviour. We are in uncharted waters in the UK. And I just kind of, I don't know about you guys, but I just feel like the first bit, we all agree with. The, the cost of living crisis right now is horrible. It's something that some of us in our own lifetimes have never experienced. Everyone is a bit stressed about in terms of financial side of life right now. But to to draw the parallel um, with football just feels a bit like it's... Um, it, it feels like it's scaremongering. Um, it feels insulting but it also just feels like somebody desperate to make a headline out of himself mm. oh, this is absolute typical from this red top newspaper in particular and you know henry cliche has made some comments in the past as well of trying to equate or trying to manufacture this idea that football hooliganism is rife in scottish football and that just it, it just takes a series of events to spark off a chain of events that there'll be no coming back from that there'll be riots at stadiums and all sorts and it's 
There is absolutely no basis or foundation for remarks like this. Mm. You know, like 90% of that quote is nailed on, absolutely nailed on. But then to turn around and say, and where it will manifest itself essentially is that people at football grounds, they're just that fickle, they're just that on the edge constantly that this is what's going to tip them over and they're going to express it all at football games. You know, what a load of nonsense. I really want to use stronger words, by the way, but I don't want an explicit um, on this, uh, on the podcast. I just honestly, I struggle to find the words. And what angers me even more is that there is this absolutely flagrant attack on Scottish football. And we're sitting there and the leaders of our game, and I mean Neil Doncaster and I mean Ian Maxwell, I don't necessarily mean the clubs, are sitting there as a red top newspaper and a former first minister are completely inventing potential for violence in our sport. And where are they? Where are they in coming out and saying, where is the basis for you coming out with this utter nonsense? How dare you say this about our game? Because where are, genuinely, where are our leaders and why are they not speaking out against, against this? Because this, look, perception's everything. If you let a red-top newspaper and a former first minister come out and say football fans are thugs and you don't challenge perception, then guess what happens? Everyone believes football fans are thugs. I just want to pull it back to a wee bit more context here because I was reading the, the comments thinking, where's this come from? And I, I don't even want to name the newspaper because I don't want to credit them with this story and, and draw attention to them because it was utterly ridiculous of them to put it on the front page. And reading the story was even worse because they then try and link it to two incidents. One they describe, and these are quotes, balaclava-clad thugs smashed windows, attacked a barmaid and a teenager, spat on drinkers and caused thousands of pounds worth of damage to a bar in Kilmarnock. The carnage unfolded just minutes after the Ayrshire side beat Motherwell in a 2-1 game on Saturday. Where is the evidence that has anything to do with the game in that sentence of what happened? The second incident was relating to an incident which happened uh, between allegedly Air United fans and Dundee supporters. But at the end of that part of the the paragraph in the article, it says no crimes have been reported to police following Friday's match. So again, where is the link there? Because what there was a, a few clashes between, allegedly a few clashes between fans, suddenly this newspaper is leading with a front page saying hooliganism is back. It feels like it's scaremongering and it is desperate to pull in some fearful story to to aggravate people and and drive this narrative that just isn't correct. I I think it kind of all just feeds into something that I I felt quite a long held thing about Scottish football in particular. I, I think it's definitely something that kind of happens all around the UK, but I've noticed it being particularly bad in Scotland, and and that is because I think traditionally football is a preserve of the working class, right? It, it, its roots are in the working class elements of society. And I think so much of the time, there's there's such a needless demonisation of football fans or the working class through the medium of football. I, I, and it's something that happens all the time. I, I remember, I, I think it was in the wake of when Rangers fans went to George Square to celebrate the title win and, and uh, there was a lot of issues around that and it was also in the middle of a lockdown and everything. But I remember uh, Adam Miller from Old Firm Facts was on, I think it was the Kay Adam show, but he was on with Joan Burney, who <laughs> ever the voice of reason, <laughs> I think, mm. in, in Scottish media. But she, 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 like, she was irate talking about how 
football doesn't matter. None of this matters. You know, it's, it's, it was the old patronising cliche of it's just men chasing a pig's bladder around a football. And she's like, if I had my way, they'd all be hosed with um, water cannons that were full of um, disinfectant. I think it is that thing of what you were just saying. Like, Grant, it, it goes unchallenged. Like, these perceptions, these myths of things that if these incidents do happen, they're very much the exception, not the rule. Yep. Like, I, I don't think anybody can present a legitimate argument that we have an endemic culture of hooliganism and issues like that within Scottish football. You know, like all sports and things, we, we do have issues with, with, with certain things. But I think broadly, you can't say hooliganism really has been something that you can level at Scottish football as a whole and it it just seems bizarre. Like I don't. It feels like we've gone from zero to a hundred miles an hour with this. Like what you're saying with McLeish's comments, we agree with the first part entirely. But how do you make that mental jump in your head from? Well, things are terrible for everybody in the country at the moment. It'll probably mean football fans will get more violent. I I just don't get that connection. Uh, it's funny, Finn, the way you presented that there. That, I'm willing to bet that was how the phone call actually went between the journalist and Henry McLeish. Yeah, probably. Was like, what do you think of the cost of living crisis? Oh, by the way, do you think this could uh, manifest itself into football? Yeah. Uh, genuinely. And to just to manufacture this utter crap. <laughs> yeah, it's also ignoring the fact that, if anything, football fans are actually uniting during this really difficult time. You look at teams like, and I know off the top of my head, Celtic, Motherwell, St Mirren, these fans have raised so much money and collected so much food for families that are not as well off. The food banks are doing so much better through the help of some of these clubs in their community. Mm -hmm. There's also fans protesting against the price of ticketing. We, we discussed this recently on, on one of the shows where like, the, the fans will hold up banners saying 20's plenty and if tickets are above 20 pounds there's a there's a there's a a protest against it because fans want to take a stand and say no we're paying far too much for our game we still want to go to support our team but in this current lifestyle we we just can't do it so it's a reminder to clubs that they have to work with supporters here and it really feels like if anything, fans are really coming together at this difficult time and not turning against each other. Like To just turn against each other to vent general frustration is just the most random connection ever. We, we all suffer frustration and stress through everyday life, be it in work or relationships or anything like that. At no point does anyone turn around and, and correlate that with football. But somehow this, the cost of living crisis, is going to lead to... For hooliganism, it's just it's a mental connection. Well, I tell I tell you what, and you're absolutely right. It is football fans and football clubs who fill the gaps where everyone else who should be doing something don't bother their backsides. And you know what? Actually, you know, I sit here and reflect on it. Maybe those with the the kind of the classist, um, you know, snobbery, and those in power outside of football actually should be scared of what football fans are capable of. Because as this cost of living crisis continues to escalate, it will be those football fans and those football clubs who are helping food banks, who are going door to door, making sure people are all right, pulling together as communities. And it could well be them who also 
are the ones that mobilise, whether it's through football stadiums or to the streets, to actually take action. And I mean in the most positive way, take action against what we're seeing. Because what is anyone else doing? So of course, yeah, you should be scared of football fans because they're probably the ones that are going to drag the rest of our society and open their eyes and actually do something to try and fix what's going on. Because it sure as hell won't be the people that are putting things on the front page and turning up their noses at them. bad night last night you're having a horrendous one now well I got through a lot this week uh, just finally before we round up uh, it's a small matter of the opening week of the group stages of European competition three Scottish teams uh, in the Champions League of course Celtic welcome Real Madrid on Tuesday and then Rangers are in Amsterdam to face Ajax on Wednesday and then Hearts host Istanbul back a here in the Europa Conference League on Thursday uh, some quick predictions three wins why not? <laughs> oh, I'm trying to be pragmatic. I'm trying to be level-headed. So I'm only going to say 6-0 to Celtic against Real Madrid on Tuesday, <laughs> carrying on the Ange ball juggernaut that, that's going on. I I, I, th- I mean, you can never tell. I think Celtic are on the crest of a wave at the moment. And speaking to Tony earlier on, <laughs> they're playing the champions of Europe. So it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a free hit, that one, I think, against Real Madrid. Rangers away in Amsterdam. <sighs> It remains to be seen how they'll bounce back. They had a habit last season of stuffing things up in the league and then somehow pulling a rabbit out of a hat in Europe. I think it'll be too much for them. I, I, I think it'll be defeat, but a narrow defeat. And then for Hearts, I don't know, they could do it. They could do it. I, I've just, I've always got this weird feeling that Hearts on a European night at Tyne Castle could do it. So I, I'm going to plump for 1-1 in that match. I find it really just the idea of like um, Luka Modric and Benzema analysing Celtic's games against <laughs> like Ross County in the cup in the in the build up to this one is just it's quite amusing. Think of them in their in their their suite in their training ground um, analysing this. These are the, some of the biggest players in the world coming to Glasgow this week, and. I think it's perfect timing for Celtic. Everything's sort of aligning just now, as we've been talking about in this show. It has the potential to be one of these historic, memorable nights at Celtic Park. I'm not going to go as far as say a victory. I think maybe they could pull off a really good draw um, and it would be an amazing result for them. Rangers, I think it's maybe just a step too far given the current situation. Um, heads might be down slightly after the weekend to play the best team in the, the competition in their group as well. Away from home, they struggle a wee bit more than Ibrox. And as you're saying, Hearts, God, I, I, I don't really know what to expect from them yet in a tournament at home against a sort of, well, a, a team we don't know as well compared to the likes of Ajax and Real Madrid. Um, I've got full hopes for Hearts. Go for it. Let's go for it. Come on, Scottish football. I'm going to have a quick play here. I think Celtic could be a high-scoring classic. I think Rangers will be a score draw. And Hearts... Hearts will need to go two up in the game to get anything otherwise. It just, it just on the basis of the FC Zurich game and other performances, it just feels like they will really need to get a strong advantage if they're gonna if they're gonna take anything. Otherwise, they'll fall apart. Always good to end on an up note. <laughs> Well that's all from us Thanks for listening Thanks to Laura and Finn As ever Thank you very much Grant For hosting again My pleasure And thanks too To Tony Haggerty From the Celtic Way And to Fermer Innes From Smokies and Wine We'll be back next Tuesday Until then Have a great week Hold up 